Fusion, the International Science Radio Show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro-seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Listen in to some amazing Christmas science this week. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, we'll be discussing Sperm Wars by Robin Baker a little later. But next up, we're talking about the science of Santa. Mark West and Bianca Nogrady. Bianca, you've been looking into Santa's health problems and you've contacted a team of experts, a team of scientific and medical experts. What, what have you discovered? Well, really, Santa is in serious trouble. Um, I mean, you know, he does do this incredible routine every year where time stands still and he circumnavigates the globe and he's always looking so jolly and so happy, but really is a bit of a ticking health time bomb going on underneath that very jovial red bearded exterior. Is this is this maybe to do with consumption over Christmas? I know I'm feeling a little bit fat and bloated from, from Christmas. Well, there's a whole range of issues that Santa is facing. I mean, the most obvious one to look at him is you go, well, that's a pretty unhealthy weight profile. And as one of our experts, uh, cardiologist Phil Harris, has said that he's he's got what we'd call profound abdominal obesity. And this is actually the worst kind of obesity because you're putting fat on your abdomen and that's really the shape you most want to avoid uh, as opposed to having fat on your hips or your bottom because what it suggests is that you've actually got some serious underlying cholesterol problems. And in Santa's case, he really does have that classic shape that would send most cardiologists um, sit their pulses racing and their secretaries typing. <laughs> so, I mean, and, and what's more, I mean, he's at the age where his risk of cardiovascular disease increases. I mean, to look at him, not that we know how old Santa actually is, but to look at him, you'd probably put him maybe between 60 or 70 in, in a good light. Mm. And uh, that's the point at which, you know, most adults do need to start taking their heart health a lot more seriously. I mean, he's overweight, which is a big issue. It's probably got cholesterol problems but also with that kind of a body shape he's probably at risk of type 2 diabetes as well and yes. if you go start going down that path well then you know if he's if that's not treated properly he's i mean he may already have the early warning signs of insulin resistance those sorts of things and if he goes further down that pathway then he could be looking at you know eye problems from diabetic retinopathy he could get kidney disease it's it, it doesn't look good just based on that, that kind of his, his actual weight shape. This could be the death of Christmas. I know. It seems a bit scroogey to, scroogey? Yes, scroogey yes. <laughs> to, um, to go on about. But, I mean, if you look at his diet, for example, I, I mean, I don't know what, what you used to leave out for Santa when you were younger, or maybe you still do, but for us it was always mince pies, beer, and maybe a carrot for the reindeer. Mm. Um, well, that's what I was thinking. Maybe we could um, stave off some of these diabetic eyesight problems if you started eating the carrots instead well, of the mince pies. Exactly. He should definitely eat the carrot, but what's more, he should probably eat his reindeer as well. Yes. And uh, our uh, resident uh, dietitian nutritionist Carol Nelson suggested that uh, he would do a lot better if he actually ditched some of the minced pies, maybe left them for the kiddies, um, mm. and substituted a few reindeer pies because reindeer meat's 
very low in fat and it's very well, it's very lean, probably high iron. Or if he was in Australia, he could say a few kangaroo pies. Maybe he should um, stop and eat some you know, kangaroos. Throw a few and... carrots into the mix, and that's going to be a heck of a lot better for him than than scoffing all those mince pies. I have to admit, I've eaten reindeer when I was in Scandinavia. Was and it good? It's, oh, it's the best meat I've ever had. Well, there you go. It was fantastic. That was onto a winner. I mean, a winner. It, well, it cost a lot. Those Scandinavian countries are highly taxed. So, and I, maybe I don't know if Santa's philanthropic work is very highly taxed up there. He lives in Finland somewhere, doesn't he? Plenty of That's reindeer true. around. He's sure to have found a tax haven. You'd really need to find something if you were in that line of work, really. And he's got other problems as well with riding in the sleigh. DVT is a classic one. We're always warned that if you're going on long flights or even long drives that you should, you know, sitting immobile for long periods of time is bad. It slows down your circulation. You can get blood pooling in your feet. It does increase the risk of blood clots. Now, the sleigh he's sitting in, if the pictures are true, is quite cramped with huge bags of presents so he's going to have long periods of travel if he's going to get all the way from the north pole down to for example canberra that's a pretty long trip and so he's sitting for very long periods cramped by all of these bags of presents probably not exercising his legs very much so his risk of dvt and particularly with his his weight profile as well it's uh, it it is quite high so um i mean our travel travel medicine expert nick zwar has suggested that well first of all he should probably lose some weight but also start exercising in his sleigh, you know, doing those classic exercises that they give you on aeroplanes, you know, rotate the feet and point the toes and raise and lower, all those sorts of things um, could save his life. And his sleigh, I guess, is not pressurised. Altitude sickness, I don't know much about this, but I guess he's at risk. Well, he would be. I mean, even even if his sleigh was pressurised, he's going to be delivering to some pretty high altitude places. I mean, there are parts of Colorado that are well above 3,000 metres above sea level. And if you think, so I'm thinking, I guess, of the parts of the world where Santa is likely to visit, you know, even in, uh, in for example, Peru, if he's taking presents high up in the Andes to Cusco or somewhere like that, you're about 3,500 metres above sea level, which is the point at which altitude sickness does start to kick in. Um, and, you know, it, at the extreme end of things, he could be looking at high-altitude pulmonary or cerebral edema, which is basically a swelling of the a brain or a fluid in the lungs. And both of those can be fatal if he doesn't get down to a lower altitude quickly. Um, and he's probably going to spend a fair amount of time up there. So uh, what Nick Zwei suggests is he should actually graduate his journey. So when he's travelling above 3,000 metres, you shouldn't go more than 300 vertical metres each day and you should always sleep lower than the highest point at which that you ascend to. Although I don't know that Santa sleeps, so I'm, I'm not sure that the sleeping aspect is, but he's probably going to be experiencing some breathlessness, might yes. even have some you know, gastrointestinal effects of altitude. It's not a lot of fun, actually. I'm surprised he's as jolly as he is. No, he kind of sounds like a ticking time bomb. Maybe he's not very much fun around the middle of the year. Well, maybe he just has that one day where he's just really jovial and everything, you know, he must be doped up to the eyeballs with yeah, right. <laughs> every possible, you know, sedative or happy pill known to man, and then the rest of the year is utterly unbearable. Maybe that's why he has all the elves do the work, he just kind of goes to bed and sort of has a 364-day hangover. <laughs> well, my hangover wasn't that long. What about uh, his zoonic diseases? Well, this is an interesting one because, I mean, just looking at the purely the infectious diseases side of things, he's going to be exposed to a lot of potential infectious diseases going into all these houses. You know, it might not be particularly clean. But one disease that 
would be unique to Santa's particular line of work is Lyme disease, um, which thankfully I don't think we have in Australia. It's, it's um, carried by ticks, but uh, as I said, we don't have it here. But deer are particularly prone to ticks. So if he's grooming his deer, spending a lot of time hanging out with them and, you know, keeping them happy, well, then he could get exposed to Lyme disease. And that, that and I think the first warning signs of that are a sort of unusual rash. Um, and it can be treated with antibiotics, but it's something you'd want to get onto early. I don't know what the long-term effects are, but I know that it's in the U.S. it's quite a problem and, and um, you know, people do kind of have these long-term health impacts of it. I think joint pain and it's not particularly nice. It might explain his perpetual rosy cheeks, perhaps. Well, that's true, although that could be fever from, you know, contracting some kind of vile little flu or cold. That's <laughs> right. Hanging around people's houses in unsanitary conditions, but also things like food poisoning. Yes. I mean, you know, kind of getting beer and, and mince pies that might be cooked up in less than sanitary circumstances, and they're left out all night, not like they're refrigerated. So That's right. The milk would be bad for that as well, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, I, I guess there's a range of things that people leave out for Santa. I mean, we always use mince pies and beer. I don't know what the other options are. But, yeah, you couldn't... I mean, with eating that many food, sort of home-cooked food, and home-cooked food is by far and away the greater risk yes. risk zone for food poisoning rather than eating out, that he's... Um, yeah, he could be in trouble. He'd be in trouble. Like, he'd be in line for some liver damage as well, I imagine. There's a lot of alcohol on Christmas. It is a lot of alcohol, so, yes. I think if we want to see Santa come back next year, we're definitely going to have to lay off the beer and start putting out something a bit more healthy. Like maybe, um, I don't know what would be a healthy drink, sort of something wheat grassy or something horrid <laughs> like that. Maybe, yeah, something from Boost Juice or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, some, but not too much juice because that'll be, there's a lot of sugar in juice. I mean, really water, it's, it's terribly dull, but water would really be the best thing for him because that would then also help reduce his risk of um, of Devan thrombosis because you're encouraged to, to drink fluids to, to sort of reduce your risk yep. and avoid dehydrating. So, and then dehydration would also be an issue because we don't, you know, we don't give him much water. We're giving him beer all the time, and if he's going to be going around the entire planet in what's supposed to be one night, it's a lot of travel on not a lot of water. That's so yeah, we need to need to ditch the beer and go the water. Keep the beer for mum and dad, I say. And you put together this crack team of Santa experts. Where did you find them all, and who did you talk to? Well, these, uh, these experts are, uh, are very well-known uh, medical experts in Australia. So um, Professor Phil Harris is Head of Cardiology at Sydney's RPA, and um, we've also got uh, Professor Nick Zwa, who's a, a GP and a travel, travel medicine expert, and Professor Carol Nelson is also an expert nutritionist. So, you know, it really was a crack team of Australian, Australian medical, well, medical experts. Um, but I think... There are quite a few people out there that would have something to add to, to comment on Santa's health. I mean, for example, you know, if you look at, it, at the issue of jet lag, mm. who knows if he's actually going to experience jet lag, but we know that poor sleep can adversely affect your health. And for every extra hour of sleep you have, when you're, you're sort of in the risk category, actually reduces the coronary artery calcification, which is a risk, you know, it can lead to heart disease. So, in fact, Poor sleep is, is really up there with high blood pressure as one of the risk factors for heart disease. So, you know, and things like shift, people who work, do shift work, I think, in the past have, have been shown to actually have higher risk of conditions like breast cancer and things like that. So, you know, there, there, there's all of those side effects as well. But I, I should put it, there is actually good news in case there are any kiddies listening and mm. going, oh, I was just about to ask. Die before he comes around next year. The good news is <laughs> that obviously Santa has to keep track of who's been naughty or nice. 
Yes. And this, with the population of the planet now sitting at 6 billion or something, is it? I mean, I I don't know how many of those necessarily believe in Santa, but there's quite a lot of people to keep track of. There's some serious mental agility involved in this. And, and, uh, And as the old adage says, use it or lose it. So in Santa's case, he's really using it and working it hard. So in terms of, um, you know, risk of dementia and conditions like that, I'd say he's probably better off than about 99% of the population. <laughs> Brain would be very, very active, and that's a, that's a good thing for Santa. So, so he, he might be overweight, diabetic, cirrhotic liver, jet-lagged, got DVT, altitude sickness, Lyme disease, but his brain will be sharp. <laughs> it's better than doing the Sudoku on Sunday, I guess. Well, that's true. It would be definitely definitely be better. I mean, he's, he's doing this even though it's 24 hours, in, well, not even 24 hours in our time, 12 hours in our time, I suspect it's a lot longer for him. So he has to have a lot of things to keep himself busy, and it's an awful long, awfully long list of children to hang on to. And he's getting out of the house, which is a little bit rare for, for the elderly. Well, that's is... true. You know, we'd like to see elderly people stay active and be involved. And, I mean, you know, he's travelling, which is a fantastic thing, seeing the world, he's keeping his, keeping his mind active and, and, I guess, Staying on the ball, staying involved. So it, it is that is a definitely a plus um, for him. I don't know how Mrs. Claus is going. Hmm. She uh, normally women outlive men, but it might be the other, well. It's hard to say actually. Maybe she's she's kind of managing everything at home and putting all those lists together. And she's not eating the mince pies and the beers, so she might she might actually yeah be in a much better state than Santa. Well, they might have to move if the North Pole is truly melting. He's not going to have anywhere to live soon. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know how climate change is going to affect Santa. Well, not not good, I don't think. <laughs> not well, I should say. Not well. <laughs> Cigarettes and chocolate milk. These are just a couple of my cravings. Does Santa smoke? Does Santa smoke? That's a good question. I don't know. He probably yeah. did back in the 50s. He might have done. Yeah, he might have had a pipe. I was I had this kind of yes. image. Yeah, it was very much a nineteen fifties image of jolly red Santa smoking a pipe. In which case, Father Christmas. Father Christmas. Mm. Big big no no on the smoking. That would that introduce a whole other range of risk factors of, uh, of health issues. Not the least of which it would massively amplify his cardiovascular disease risk. So he's got a serious substance problem, doesn't he? He's he's addicted to alcohol and probably nicotine. And to get going to keep going through the night, he must be on. However many uppers. Yeah, no dose. Yeah. Chronic no dose consumer. So, so he's got some yeah, amphetamine problem, in like likely. Well, that's true. That that would be that would explain it actually. Santa must be on amphetamines. It's the only way he could do it. That's why he's so jolly as well all the time. Hmm. <laughs> yes. That's another line of investigation. Santa yes. is a substance abuser. Santa- <laughs> we need an intervention on a global scale. Well, he's he's available a few days of the year, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's a bit of a weird substance abuse habit to just do them for, you know, three days a year and then stop for the other 362 months. <laughs> Maybe that's his come down period. I don't know. Oh, well, that's quite a come down. <laughs> is, isn't it? <laughs> that was Mark West and Bianca Nogrady discussing the science of Santa Claus. You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. Diffusion at 2SCR.com. Brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network, into Sydney on 2SER, and over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Subscribe now. 
Great scientific advances are oftentimes sudden accomplished facts before most of us are even dimly aware of them. Breathtakingly unexpected, for example, was the searing flash that announced the atomic age. Equally unexpected was the next gigantic stride. In the studio with me are Aaron Cook and Daniel Keogh. I've got here Sperm Wars by Robin Baker. And just briefly, it's about infidelity and sexual conflict throughout human evolution and how infidelity is such a common thing in the in human societies throughout all of our history that we're physically changed in our evolution to adapt for infidelity. So, for example, human men have more than one type of sperm in their semen. They have blocker sperm, they have fighter sperm, they have all sorts of different sperm that fight or cooperate or compete. And there are some men whose sperm is so competitive that they actually can't impregnate their wives unless another man has sex with their wife first. There's a case in the book where this has happened, where the, there was a swingers party, and they had thought when she finally got pregnant that it was the other guy that she had sex with. No, it was her husband because his sperm could fight off the other sperm rather than just being so aggressive that they didn't fertilise the egg. So there's all these amazing scenarios that he goes through of just all how these things have shaped our revolution and how the simple monogamous model of the happily married man and woman is not how most humans have been through most of history at all. And this has shaped us. Mm. So some really, really interesting stuff. He's got little things like how 10% of children aren't fathered by their fathers. So there's a bit of deception there. Less than 1% of a man's sperm could ever fertilize anything. The remainder is designed to fight off other men's sperm. There's smart vaginal mucus that encourages some sperm and blocks others. It can choose. So just like a man can choose which type of sperm, depending on the circumstances, not consciously, but yeah. some part of his body, perhaps his hindbrain, decides whether it's fighter sperm or blocker sperm that he's going to be using with his partner. A woman can choose whether her vaginal mucus at some unconscious deep level is going to encourage the sperm to implant or, in fact, um, kill it off. Yeah. What, what's different with the sperm? So how are the fighter sperm different to the blockers? I've they've never got, heard this before. This right, they've got different tails. They're actually physically different. Oh, it's interesting with that case about having to have a competitive partner in order to get someone pregnant. If, you know, if, if it looks like you're infertile, then you've got an excuse to have a threesome maybe. It could be. It could be that uh, that's what is necessary. Uh, there's other research. But, Sorry. Yeah. On the, on. But seriously, on that fact, there's been research done on uh, male sperm counts whilst watching pornography, yes. and particularly in in multiple partners. So so with uh, one female with uh, two men, for example, and uh, the situation is that guys have a higher sperm count when there's more males in the scene in the sense that... Uh, and their theory is that it's for sperm competition. So if you know that there's another male, um, you know, there as well, you, you know directly that your sperm is competing with another male. So, yeah, you almost contribute more to it. So it's, it's interesting. So obviously there's direct connection then. Um, people used to think, no, the, the penis just thinks on its own, but apparently, no, the brain must be... There must be part of the hindbrain that's doing some of these sort oh, of calculations. Certainly. certainly. And then, therefore, there's 
a pathway for control of this. Mm. I mean, I don't know any woman that would want to trust if there turned out to be a training technique in the future where you could uh, determine your sperm count and deliberately lower it or deliberately raise it, whether anyone would want to trust that over any sort of mechanical or chemical yeah. contraception. But it's an interesting concept. Yes, it would be. It'd be very much a trust me situation. Well, of course, if a woman could also learn to consciously make her vaginal mucus reject the sperm, that could be kind of cool. So, yeah, that, that, there's all sorts of bizarre sort of things. There was another study done after Robin Baker's sperm wars where they were looking at in vitro fertilization and it turned out that uh, just like the, the type of porn made a difference, uh, the way the man made the sperm donation for his wife if the couple were trying to conceive, if he masturbated into a cup, there was a certain sperm count, whereas if he had coitus interruptus, it was a higher sperm count. And if he'd actually had full-on sex with a condom to catch it, then it was the highest and most successful rate of implantation of the sperm. So obviously there's some sort of calculations, mm. really complex stuff going on there. Even after you've chosen your mate and you've decided to have kids and it's all positive, there's still calculations going on. Wow, that's interesting. Do you know, particularly with IVF, etc., if that's a practice, if you know it is a practice that they say, wear a condom for tonight, bring it in in the morning and... I don't think that that's gone through to practice. Yeah. So it's really interesting. interesting. Mm. So that's one uh, I'm going to investigate the research in the future. I'll look up the paper. Because I'm, I'm assuming that the male brain, you know, prepares for, oh, this one's just going to be a dud, so you don't need to put anything into this one because I'm just, you know, looking at pornography, etc. So, yeah, that's interesting. So, yeah, and what level of intelligence is involved? Because obviously if there's some improvement when, in fact... There's still a condom there. Um, it, but, yeah, it's, it's just weird, the calculations that what part of the brain is doing this because consciously the man wants to have a child, he's with his partner, it's all good, it should be all go, but not necessarily. Mm. You've got to set things up to appeal to some other bit of the brain, different type of intelligence. And what about on the female side? It seems pretty sperm-heavy. Well, I think there's... I mean, the book is sperm-heavy. Yep. There's a little bit about the vaginal mucus, as I mentioned. <laughs> don't think I've got most See, of that stuff off the top of my only head. Only scientists can have these kind of conversations. That's Seriously, right. we were I was with friends recently at a cafe and we were talking about the design of the the penis being like a plunger. And we were at a table with just biologists and the people around us had overheard our conversation and were we're just checking whether we were serious or not. Like this is not really, you know, usual conversation. So yeah. This is the kind of talk that scientists do have. It's of, true. Of course, uh, the penis is, 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 isn't always shaped like a plunger. I've got a friend uh, who's an entomologist, and one of the key tools for looking at the taxonomy of beetles is looking at the shape of their, their, their penises. Mm. If you ever get a chance to see a beetle's penis, take it up, because those, there's some wicked hooks yeah. and curls and, and wiggles and spirals and everything going on. And apparently, you know, your genitalia is perhaps one of the things you don't want to mess around with too much or mutate too much because then you literally won't be able to reproduce. So it's, it's as I say, it comes back to really being able to track uh, which, 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 which animals are the same species or, 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 or a different species. Yeah, because it's a lock and key kind of mechanism as well. So, so your species can be highly, you know, highly A lot adapted. of them look 
look positively something off mm-hmm. like something off the movie Seven or one of those <laughs> yeah. Saw movies. Yeah, uh, they're, they're terrifying. And the other thing, I mean, that comes into sperm wars a little bit. The shape of the human penis is pretty much, as you said, a plunger. It's a pump when you when you're pumping away. You're actually pumping out the previous man's mm. sperm. Mm. Is what it's designed for. Uh, designed uh, what it's evolved to to do. Um, it's pumping out any sperm that's already there before you deposit your own. I don't think the creationists would claim that design. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, intelligently done as well. Lachlan Watmore on guitar. Ladies, listen to me. Now back to your man, then back to me. Listen to your man again, and now listen to me. He isn't me, but he could sound like me. I'm telling you a story about how men's semen works as an antidepressant in women. Look away, look back. Now I'm talking to a guy who wants to cure mind-controlling parasites in crazy cat ladies with gold nanoparticles activated by lasers. Come closer. I'm telling you how high doses of vitamin C have been shown to activate a pathway of desire that makes you go out and seek sex with strangers. I'm Ian Wolfe, and today I woke up with a huge, hard, swollen larynx. I'm a little horse. Listen to me on www.hereswhy.tk or follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolfe. And that's all from us on this Christmassy edition of Diffusion. You can send email and cards to diffusion at 2ser.com. That's diffusion at 2ser.com. Tell us your thoughts, feelings, stories, and any sciencey Christmas gifts you've received. If you'd like to be on radio and you live in Sydney, we need more volunteers on Diffusion. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. Contributing to the program were Mark West, Aaron Cook and Daniel Keogh. I produce Diffusion in the studios of 2SCR in Sydney and Diffusion is broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more Science Wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Next up, Juice Media Rap News with Robert Foster. Okay, it's almost time to end for the day But until we meet again, a few questions remain Is Wikileaks really the greatest threat that we face? Or is it the response we're seeing in defense of the state? A response which is building and seeks to turn back the clock On freedom of speech and fundamental rights earned over a century This should ring alarm bells for all who know their history From this evidence, are we neglecting our memory And repeating the trajectory of the 20th century? And if so, upon seeing the facts but ceasing to act, don't we deserve 
serve the leaders we have? What needs to befall before we open the door and yell, I'm mad as hell, I'm not gonna take it anymore! Or do we sit waiting for messiahs or aliens or a superhero if they're not all one and the same meme? History, dear viewers, is happening. Will we ever get a similar chance again? History books will be written about events this month. The story they will tell is up to us.